This podcast is available in video at fpcgolfport.org and fpcgolfport on YouTube. Start by just saying what a, a privilege it is to be able to open up the Word of God with you all this morning. Please turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13. We're continuing this morning in our study of Matthew, which I believe is a 15-week study. Is that right? 15. Okay, we'll see. We will see. All right. And as you turn there, I wonder if you're like me, if you've ever wondered what it must have been like to be a disciple of Jesus during His earthly ministry. I mean, I imagine that it was pretty exciting, right? I mean, so many things you got to see, but it also seems that it was rather confusing as well. You know, some days you get up and Jesus goes out and He heals the sick and gives sight to the blind, gives hearing to the deaf. Other times He performs incredible miracles, walks on the sea, calms the sea and the wind by His very Word. So amazing things. And all this had to be just miraculous to see, right? Very cool. But it also had to be, I think, pretty confusing to be one of the disciples in those times. Maybe even a little frustrating he kept insisting that he was going to be put to death, and that really made no sense to the disciples. And sometimes he would speak a parable, and it would sound very profound, but it seems like they'd have no idea what he actually was saying. And that's what we're going to look at one of those instances today. You know, something else that really confused the disciples is all of this constant pushback that he just kept getting from different sides. Right? I mean, if you're one of the disciples and, and you're following the Messiah, but it seems like there is conflict, constant conflict, which you weren't expecting. In Matthew chapter 12, you see the Pharisees oppose him for several reasons. He's healing on the Sabbath. I mean, he cast out a demon and even his own family, they're attempting to talk some sense into him. So he's getting all of this pushback. They've got to be wondering, how does Israel's, their spiritual leaders, how are they opposing Jesus? I mean, this is God's prophet. This is the Messiah. I mean, and they're seeing some of the same stuff we are, and how are they not getting it? And even you come off of chapter 12 and say, even his family, how are they getting some of this wrong? So it had to have been confusing. Now, despite the opposition, Jesus' popularity at this point is certainly growing, Right? So much so that the crowns are becoming almost unbearable, we might say. On the occasion of this parable in Matthew 13 and the parables that follow, the crowns are so great that he's there on a beach, but he actually has to go onto a boat and sit down while everyone gathers around the beach to teach. So it's in this context of growing popularity, but also great opposition that Jesus told them this famous parable. If you'll turn with me in Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 1. The same day Jesus went out to the house and sat beside the sea. Went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of the seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. 
Other seeds fell on good soil and produced good grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for its clarity. For, Lord, for the opportunity to study it this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give us, Lord, eyes to see and ears to hear. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, Jesus' first parable that he tells is about a sower, or we may say farmer, that at least makes more sense to me, who went out generously throwing seed all over the ground. Now, it was common in this day, for whatever reason, to sow or cast out the seed before they plowed. And that's, that's what's going on here. All right? Now, some of this seed, it fell along the walking path. And the seed stayed on top of this well-traveled path so it never gets down in the soil. It doesn't do anything. And the birds come down and swoop it up. Now, some of it falls on rocky soil. And there's not much soil there. So it sprouts. It springs up quickly. But there's no root. And any roots to survive, so the sun scorches it out. We have some that sown among the thorns, and the thorns, they choke out that plant. And finally, there was seed that fell on good soil. This seed was fruitful, and actually fruitful really beyond all measure. A good return in that day was 10 to 1. And what does it say? A hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold? So this is really miraculous return. All right, well, that seems pretty straightforward. I mean, that makes sense, but, but what does it mean? What does it mean? And and that's a little bit more difficult, and that's really why everyone there would have likely been scratching their heads. What in the world is this guy talking about? I imagine there was some debate. If it's anything like the theological climates today, anytime you can have some good debate, they're going to have that, right? And you may be thinking to yourself, well, this is actually pretty simple. I know exactly what this means. But see, you've probably read the interpretation. And that's kind of an important bit of information to have. But thinking about it from their context, even Jesus, he's telling us this is not going to be easy. In verse 9 he says, He who has ears, let them hear. Now, I wasn't there, but I imagine that most of them probably had ears. Right? Ears on their head. Many probably could hear just fine. What is he saying? Could they actually understand and interpret the message? Well, no. Those who had ears were those who could understand and receive His Word, His message, and then actually be fruitful, as the parable would say. Now, we get that the crowd, maybe we get the crowd doesn't understand it, but it's surprising, possibly, that even the disciples, they seem to be scratching their heads, right? I mean, you would think they've been spending some time with Jesus, but they're going to get it. Now, they probably, as He's teaching it, you know, they're nodding their heads, they give out one of those like holy grunts, you know. Mm, yeah. Mm. But, but they're confused. So first chance they get, Jesus, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, they're one of those old cows staring at a new gate, right? They're just confused. Now, their question to Jesus was really even more foundational than what does that parable mean? Not only do we not understand this parable, why are you even teaching in parables? Why don't you just be straightforward here? And the answer that our Lord gives might actually surprise us. It may not be what we're expecting. We're going to pick up in verse 10. Matthew 13, verse 10 through 17. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? 
And he answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed." Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Okay, so let's start with parables in general. A good basic common definition of parables that many of us have probably heard, is a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I think that's a good place to start. Why did he tell them? What is their purpose? Often what we think is Jesus was a master teacher. Master teacher. And because he was such a good teacher, he knew that we needed to have really good illustrations to get the point. That's how humans learn. And that actually is true. He does that some. But what we think he's trying to do in the parables is to paint this vivid picture that everyone's just going to instantly get. Charles Spurgeon, of course, is one of my favorite preachers. He said that Jesus called us to feed the sheep and not the giraffes. Okay, What's his point? He's saying teaching should be acceptable to all, not only the lofty academics. Right? If you are preaching only to the giraffes, the sheep will have nothing to eat. And is that true? Absolutely, that is certainly true. And that's appropriate to think of. But that's not why Jesus taught in parables. And that's clear in his response to the disciples, isn't it? Look what he said. First, he said, explained that the secrets, we might say the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, were revealed to the disciples, but not to the crowd. Right? The disciples were learning aspects of God's coming and, and eternal kingdom, but they were the only ones that had heard it yet. All these things were not fully disclosed in such detail in the Old Testament. This was all new, and it was given right there to the disciples. Look again, look at verse 13. He's really explicit here. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So this really is matching with what he said to the crowd when he finished speaking the parable, right? Right? He's speaking to them in parables specifically because they do not believe. Because they don't understand the message. should be a little bit of a a mind-blown. That's not what we're really expecting. Of course, we know it to be true experientially. We've seen this. We've seen people who seemingly can see and hear, but they reject spiritual truth. And Jesus knew that. Even very wise people by the world's standards can see and hear, it seems like, but they reject the spiritual truth. I have a friend who in college, his New Testament professor, had memorized the entire Greek New Testament. Right? Memorized it. The New Testament in Greek. That's pretty impressive. Anybody here done that? I certainly have it, so don't look at me. So would we say this is a smart guy? 
Yeah, I mean, he's got to be. But the same guy was actually an atheist. Right? He had memorized all of those words. He'd memorized all of that in the original language, the New Testament, and he didn't believe any of it. Jesus would say, this man has eyes, but he can't see. Seeing, he does not see. Jesus then quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, and he's showing that his ministry is a fulfillment and very similar to the ministry of Isaiah. When we think about their ministries, they actually are kind of similar, right? They both prophesied to a mostly unreceptive people, even though their message was going to serve in many ways to close eyes, to harden hearts in their day at that time. Now, if these men and women would have repented, they would have returned to Christ, they would have found full forgiveness of their sins, but many in Israel, especially her leaders, rejected the Lord. That's what John tells us. John 1.11, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. And the Isaiah quotation is this kind of this joint thing going on, this hardening of the heart of the hearers, but it's also by the hearers, but it's also by the message. And it kind of reminds me in thinking of this, it's kind of similar to what we think of in Pharaoh, right? Did Pharaoh harden his own heart or did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Yeah, yes, both, both are true, right? Now, Pharaoh did exactly what he desired, but we see both happening. And I think it's clear here that it's a very dangerous thing to harden your heart against the Lord. If you hear the word and you refuse to receive it, that's what you're doing. You're hardening your heart. And God will allow you to go that way, and it's a way that leads to death. One commentator said this, unbelievers choose to harden their hearts, but Jesus punishes their unbelief by hiding himself and hardening them. So the Jewish leaders, they saw the miracles. They heard the teaching. Just in the last chapter, they saw him casting out of demons and they attributed his work to Satan. And so they've rejected God's revelation and so he's not speaking clearly. Now the contrast to the hard heart, we also see here, it's those who God has revealed himself. Those to whom God has revealed himself. Verse 16 says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. right? Their eyes and their ears are blessed because they can actually understand the message. And that, we would say, is most certainly true. right? The ability to understand God's message, to respond in faith, that is undeniably a gift from the Lord. Our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession, if you read the chapter on faith, it starts off calling faith the grace of faith which is kind of an interesting way to put it, but I believe it's building off this biblical concept that even the faith which saves us is the gift of God. And the Bible is very clear about that. I also find it pretty fascinating that it's this same parable that's producing different results, right? The parables are almost a double-edged sword. They both reveal and they conceal. Right? It's hiding truth from the crowd. It's right in front of them. They just can't see it. But it's communicating truth to the disciples. Now, it's that second aspect that we're probably more familiar with because for those who are able to see and hear, the parables actually are really good teaching tools. Right? They are ways that bring to life these heavenly realities in ways that we otherwise may not understand them. And we can think of this as well. It's very similar to the way that the gospel message works. Right? When the gospel is preached, it's a message of life. Right? The message of life to all who receive it. 
But for those who are rejecting it, it's death. They're dead in their sins. They haven't received it. So it's a message of life, but if it's rejected, it becomes judgment. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the very same message. Well, we should also think about the, really the great position that the disciples were in. Right? They are having the mysteries of the kingdom revealed to them. Verse 17, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see. They did not see it. To hear what you hear and did not hear it. Right? Jesus is saying, you're actually in a more favorable time in history than the prophets of old. Because right? the Old Testament saints, they're looking forward to Christ. And they're the disciples sitting there learning from Jesus. And you may think, well, the prophets of old, they saw the Red Sea split. And Moses saw the burning bush. Lots of amazing things. But the disciples are right there with Jesus. But you know, you got to think about our position as well, don't you? We kind of think about the same thing. Well... Yeah, it was great for the disciples. It was great for the Old Testament saints. What do we have? Well, I mean, we have God's completed word, right? Even the disciples didn't have that. We have more of God's revelation than most. Now, in our kind of cultural context, most of us even own a Bible, right? How many people would have longed just to have access to some of these things and we can just take it home, have it pull up on our phones right there, They'd have given all they had for that. So we can't pass this by and not think about that these mysteries that were hidden for centuries, millennia, have been revealed to us through Christ Jesus, and we have it in His written Word. Believers, God has opened your eyes, which is such a blessing. He's also ordained that you live in a time of fulfillment, right? Not only the time of promise, but a time of fulfillment, and what a blessing that is. We can't waste that blessing. We have such ease of access, we don't think about it. But what a blessing we have to have God's completed word and to live in the time of the promise. Let's jump into the meaning of this parable of the sower now that we have a basic understanding of parables. And that, I think, goes for, you can use these principles for any of them. We're going to jump in here. Verse 18, Jesus is so kind not only to explain why as parables, he knows that All right, I've explained the purpose, but you still don't get it, so let me tell you. Verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. As for what is sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises... On account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So again, we're thankful that Jesus explained this to us or we would probably still be arguing today over what it meant. Now the seed, it represents the word of the kingdom, right? The sower, therefore, must be Jesus or one of His representatives preaching His word. And the point of the parable is to show the different responses 
to this gospel message. And there will be different responses, right? And like all good parables, it should bring the hearer to a question and ask, where am I? Which one am I? And that's what we should do. Which soil am I? That's what Jesus is trying to reveal. Now, the first thing I want to acknowledge is just how liberally this seed was cast, right? It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to put one seed here, one here, one there. It just, it's just almost, you know, carelessly it seems like. It's not, but it seems like just throwing seed everywhere. There's some over here, over there. Some fell on the path. That's fine. I know that won't sprout on the soil over the thorns, a walking path, everything, right? So I think we should take that initiative from Jesus, right? We are to preach the word. There's going to be varying responses. He's telling you that right now. When we share the word, there will be different responses. Some will reject, but all should hear this great message. It's a call for all to believe, and by God's grace, some will believe. Another reason for this parable is because there was, at that time, there was an expectation that the coming of the Messiah was the time of harvest. Right? God's kingdom would be established. His enemies would be destroyed right then, right there. But instead, what do we find? A season of sowing. And even now, that season of sowing is not ended as we wait in anticipation for His return. I think Jesus is telling us pretty clear, get to work. The season of sowing, the harvest is coming. And He will return. Well, let's look at the responses. We've got three negative responses and one good. This doesn't mean that 75% of the people are going to reject. It doesn't necessarily work out like that, but we do have three negative responses and one good. The first negative response is what we might call the hard path. And this seems to represent the hard hearts of those who just reject the word outright. Right? And instead of letting the word stay around, Satan instantly, as soon as he can, he snatches it away. And we would expect him to do that. He knows the power of the word. Right, this group hears the gospel and then walks out the door and into the car and it's gone. You're meeting with somebody, talking to somebody on the beach, they walk away, poof, it's just, the word is gone. We've all seen this soil. Right, they want nothing to do with the gospel. Maybe they're indifferent to the message, maybe they're not antagonistic. I grew up in church, prayed some, but you know, I saw a lot of people faking it, so I'm really just, I'm not that interested, it's not for me. Now, there's nothing wrong with the seed. That's very clear. But see, the path is hard. The message never makes it below the surface. And these dirt paths are how they are because they are well-traveled. And sometimes they're not even intentionally made. You know, if you've got a patch of grass in your yard and somebody walks over it and people just keep going and keep going and keep going, eventually you've got yourself a nice path, even if you wanted it there or not. Now, perhaps it's the path that there's this soil, because it's a very common response. It's possible. Now, I saw a prime example of the hard path this week on the Internet. I know I should get off the Internet, but anyway. Someone in our community put out this ad. I'm going to read it. It says this, In search of a voodoo priestess, or someone that can break some lingering curses that have been around my life for about a decade, not looking to buy a voodoo doll or hurt anybody, I'm just trying to find a way to read my wife's aura so she stops breaking a car every time she gets in it. Whew. All right. Well, I'm not going to really respond to that, but somebody did respond to them and said, you don't need a voodoo priestess, you need Jesus. And he responded that the Bible is fake and was created at the Council of Nicaea. 
which it's not fake and it wasn't, but anyway. All that to say is that is some hard soil, right? And there is some hard soil. People who reject it outright. Now, two of the responses are initially favorable. The seed sown among the rocky ground and that that was sown among the thorns. Now, the rocky soil, it's kind of deceptive, right? Because initially there's such great joy, right? It sprouts up. You're like, oh, there is really something here. There's excitement. There's joy. But it doesn't actually last, right? There's no depth or roots. Maybe you've encountered this response as well. It's the person who perhaps they hear the gospel and it seems like it takes root and they believe and they just, they're like on fire, you know. They're just so excited telling everyone about Jesus. They're at church every time the doors open, you know, leading Bible studies, evangelizing, all of it. That could be them. But then after a few months, maybe a few years, kind of start to fade. And before long, they're like, hey, where's so-and-so? It's like, oh, I hadn't seen them. They're, they're on to something else. Oh, they found something else they think is going to solve their problems. They're on to the next Big thing, it doesn't endure. See, life, life gets difficult, you know, even for Christians. And if we're not rooted in God's Word, if we just see Jesus as some fad, some quick fix, just need a little Jesus, you're going to fall away when things get difficult. It's possible to find the message of Jesus appealing, to be caught up in the emotions of worship, to be captivated by a powerful preacher, even to respond to Jesus with a prayer and an altar call, but not to actually and truly come to the Lord. Let me also be clear, we all can struggle. We all do struggle, right? A tragedy, a trial, a sickness, nobody wants these things. And they're not easy. But we have to understand that God has not left us. God is in control. He never promised us that life would be easy, but He has given us His Word, and His Word is the root, it is an anchor that will keep us through the storm, through the trials. If you've ever been through a hurricane, the next day you start driving around, and what do you often see? Branches are down. If it's strong enough, you'll see trees that are down. Some are big trees, some are smaller trees. And what is the difference between these trees? Why did some withstand the winds and some others didn't? Now, of course, wind hits in different ways. But the big idea is that some had strong roots and some didn't. And the Bible presents this. Psalm 1 is clear on this as well, that the Bible is what roots us and grounds us through the storms of life. They're going to come, but God has given us His Word. He's given us His promise. He's given us His Spirit as a seal, and He guides us through the storms. The third response is the seed thrown among the thorns. And they don't seem to shoot up as quickly like the others, but there's some positive response. Seems to maybe be some more maturity, possibly. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke out the word. I don't know about you, this reminds me of the rich young ruler. I mean, he's a decent guy, but he wanted to get a little more religion from Jesus. So as he asked him, what must I do to be saved? Of course, we know that's the wrong starting place. But what does Jesus do? He points him to the Ten Commandments. And he says, yeah, 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 I've got those. I've been doing those forever. I'm doing great. Of course, that's not true. So Jesus kind of goes for the juggler, goes to the core. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus says to them this, If you would be perfect, which he's not, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Now, He left away. Why? 
because he had many possessions. What Jesus is doing there with one command, he's confronting the rich young ruler with the fact that you don't actually love your neighbor like you thought. And you certainly don't love God enough to give all of your stuff. So on your own power, what you must do to be saved is be perfect. Guess what? You're not perfect. He needed the grace of Christ. But the riches of the present were these thorns that kept him from following Christ and actually bearing fruit. Right? These individuals are those, they want to add Jesus onto their life. They just want to add it to what they already have. You know, maybe, hey, maybe, maybe little Jesus will go great with the things of the world. And that's what the thorns are, the riches, the cares, the pleasures of life. And it's not only those who have them, right? It can also be those who are desirous of them. Eric Sorensen described this condition well. He said, this is what thorny soil looks like. Jesus is Lord, but I just need to steal a little bit to pay off some debts. Jesus is Lord, but if I don't lie on my taxes, I'm not going to make it. Jesus is Lord, but my spouse is cold to me and I need the attention that my coworker gives me. Jesus is Lord, but I will never forgive my brother for what he did to me. Jesus is Lord, but this thing. Right? Maybe these individuals think that Jesus is going to do something different. Or they want forgiveness, but they don't want to give up their sin. Whatever it may be, it's a thorn that chokes out the word. So we have three negatives. The hard-hearted ignore it. The weak commit to it falsely. The double-minded try to love the kingdom and the world. Now, before we jump into the good soil, did the two soils with a season of what looked like faith truly believe and then fall away? Is this parable teaching that people lose their salvation? No, that's not what this text is saying at all. But it is possible for there to be outward signs of faith, but to not truly believe. 1 John 2.19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. That's what's going on here. Well, the final soil is the good soil. And this is the only one who truly hears and understands the Word and then bears fruit. And as we mentioned earlier, that this is lots of fruit. This is miraculous quantities. We should be encouraged, though. There's different folds, right? There are 30, 60, 100. It's not all the same. We don't all have the same fruit that we produce, but all true disciples do bear fruit. Now one thing he will say, if you aren't as fruitful as you would like to be, and if we're honest, most of us are not as fruitful all the time as we would like to be, this text is not telling us to try to force on your own effort and power fruit. I often think of that as like nailing pieces of fruit to a dead tree, right? It may look okay for a little bit, but eventually it's going to rot, what we're called to do is to go to Christ, go to His Word. He is the vine, and it's the seed that has the power. It's the Word that has the power. We also have to recognize that none of us are good soil by ourselves, right? The good soil was said to understand, but Romans 3.11 says no one understands. No one seeks for God. So no one's good just in and of themselves. None of us are naturally good soil. And the point of the parable is not you need to fix your soil. It is God who makes us good soil. He calls us to Himself. He gives us hearing. He gives us understanding. He gives us faith. It's not about our effort. Psalm 46 is interesting here. It says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Now, the language here is quite literally, ears you have dug for me. 
ears you have dug for me. And it is God and God alone who digs out new ears for us so we can hear. Who gives us new hearts so we can understand His Word. And it's God who does that. Now with these responses in mind, we shouldn't be surprised when people reject the Gospel, right? Coming off the events of chapter 12, some of the disciples, they're probably a little down. They're like, hey, is there something wrong with this message? People aren't receiving it. No, there's nothing wrong with the message. But there is different types of soil. Just like the disciples, right? Despite whatever we see when we're sharing the Word, we can have hope in the Gospel's progress. Because when we share God's Word, we know that God is working. Yes, some may reject it, some will reject it, but some will believe. If some rejected it straight out of the Lord's mouth Himself, they certainly will when we preach as well. But there's some who will receive it, so that shouldn't discourage us. God is glorified when we share His Word. And ultimately... When it's all said and done, yes, there are four soils, but there's really only two distinctions that matter. There's those who hold fast to the Word and bear fruit, and those that do not. And in this parable, Jesus wants us to all be honest and answer, what kind of soil am I? Are you the hard path? The rocky ground? The soil sown among thorns? The message is very clear. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Do you believe? And bear fruit and preach the word. And let all of us cling to the promise of the gospel that's found just a few chapters before. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, our Lord says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Let's pray. If you'd like to check out additional recordings or videos by Dr. Toby Holt, please visit our website at fpcgulfport.org. And if you're on the Gulf Coast, come join us at 10 a.m. Sundays at First Presbyterian Church of Gulfport, Mississippi.